Greetings, you're listening to the 24th episode of the ABF Journal podcast. This week, Gary Mendel, president of Meridian Finance Group, joined me to discuss the rise of credit demand over the last 12 months and the challenges suppliers and their lenders have faced in trying to meet it. He also dove into how credit insurance can be a helpful tool to mitigate non-payment risks. Let's go to the call now. Thanks for joining us, Gary. How are you doing today? Doing well, thank you. Great. Well, we're going to jump right into it. Um, how has demand uh, for credit evolved over the last 12 months, uh, specifically in response to the econo- economic environment that's been created by the COVID-19 pandemic? Demand for trade credit was increasing even before COVID. Companies, uh, customers for years have been pushing suppliers to give them longer payment terms you know, to pay for goods and services that they buy. Uh, but this has really been um, magnified in COVID time because it's become more and more challenging for companies to access working capital from other sources, from banks, from lenders, from lines of credit, and so on. Companies have been turning increasingly to their suppliers for longer payment terms and larger amounts of credit. What's been driving this need for more working capital is you know, the, the customers who are asking for longer terms, they're getting paid slower by their customers. So they need to turn around and get more time from their suppliers. They're dealing with broken supply chains, with trying to run their businesses and their throughput with not having everybody in their facilities or with people being physically distanced, which even at this point, we're all still learning how to get right. And also they're trying to do things which uh, will take a longer view to keep them viable until there's a recovery. You know, we all believe there's going to be a recovery, but we don't know what the shape of it's going to be and just when it's going to come. But companies need to have sufficient credit from their suppliers to stay the course. Right. And then aside from just reacting to that demand, what have suppliers been doing to kind of make a proactive um, way to use more competitive credit terms to keep doing as much business as is possible right now? Well, so, so suppliers who are fortunate enough to be dealing with customers in sectors that are doing reasonably well economically, they want to keep that business going as long as they can. And so they need to offer as reasonable terms as possible. That might be 60 days, 90 days, even longer, 120 days we're seeing in some sectors. Um, and they want to do that better than their competitors are so that they can win you know, what business there is to be won out there. Another big element is distribution. Um, Companies, distributors out in the marketplace during COVID time have allowed their inventories to dwindle um, uh, because they don't have the working capital like they used to, to stock a lot of inventory. The problem is that that now puts the burden on the manufacturer or the supplier to maintain a lot of inventory, which is expensive. In order for a supplier to get their distributors to start stocking inventory again, they need to open up longer payment terms, 60 days, 90 days, and so on, as an incentive for the distributor to take product and stock it. Um, The additional benefit of that, besides transferring inventory counting costs from the supplier to the distributors, is that if the distributors have inventory, that means there's product closer to the end users. And when we've got challenged supply chains, challenged logistics out there now, challenged transportation, having your products located closest to the end users of your products means you're going to have more and more opportunity to keep, you know, keep your products being sold. 
So uh, just as you phrased it, in addition to companies, suppliers needing to react to their customers' demand for more trade credit, suppliers themselves proactively are using credit to you know, maximize how much business they can do and maximize the profitability of their business during COVID time. And are there other challenges that are preventing uh, suppliers from meeting that heightened demand for credit, um, such as maybe things affecting the supply well, there's, chain? There's, there's two, I mean, there's two big challenges that come up during, uh, or what, you know, when, when a company extends bigger amounts of credit and longer payment terms to their customers, there's two main challenges that arise. The first is the risk of not getting paid. Again, non-payment risks have always existed when you give open account payment terms to your customers, but those are heightened, they're magnified in COVID time because of the greater incidence of companies filing bankruptcy, um, of companies running into cash flow difficulties, companies becoming too leveraged and not having the financial flexibility to pay all their suppliers timely. Um, there, there are the risks of not getting paid because of direct impacts on customers of um, the pandemic. And then there's also, um, I hate to say it, but the number of companies who, when they are paying slow or not paying are hiding behind the pandemic when really there are underlying insufficiencies in the credit worthiness of the customer. And this is something that suppliers really need to be mindful of is that not every company that's not paying well is failing to pay well directly because of COVID and you really need to look for where there are underlying credit worthiness issues. Um, so non-payment risks are one issue. The other issue is how long you have to wait to get paid. The, the, there's really a, a trifecta of factors here that, that uh, result in working capital shortfalls for suppliers who are giving more payment terms, more credit. Number one, Payment terms have grown longer. 90 days is the new net 30. Companies are having to give, like we talked about earlier, much longer payment terms to their customers. The second thing is payment morality has slipped. More and more companies are paying slow. If they get 60 days payment terms, maybe they're paying in 90 days, maybe they're paying in 120 days. Throughout COVID, you may get paid by your suppliers and never and never face a default, but you may get paid, sorry, by your customers and never face a default, but you may have customers who pay you consistently 60 days slow. So if you're giving a customer 60 days payment terms, open account, and they're paying you 60 days slow, that means you're waiting 120 days for your money. So unless you've got a hell of a lot of working capital, how do you keep filling new orders? How do you keep paying your workers? How do you keep paying the light bill? Um, during that period while you're waiting to get paid. And that combination of longer day sales outstanding, you know, how long you're waiting to get paid, is juxtaposed with the fact that banks and other asset-based lenders face credit challenges, and of course, banks face regulatory challenges to um, financing receivables when Number one, the payment terms are longer than they used to be. Number two, some of those receivables involve payments that are past due. You know, they get paid after the due date, they're slow. Number three, where there are greater concentrations 
of credit risk exposure because a lot of suppliers are now selling to a smaller number of customers and each of those customers requires even bigger amounts of credit. And then generally in economic downturn. So, so, so banks and other lenders um, um, may find it more difficult in some cases to finance the receivables. So this is the combination of factors that make it challenging for suppliers uh, to address this growing demand for credit. The thing about this demand for credit is it doesn't look like it's going away. None of us has a crystal ball. Like Yogi Berra said, I hate to make predictions, especially about the future. But from all indications, companies that used to pay, used to get 30 days payment terms and maybe paying 30 or 45 days, who are now getting 60 days payment terms and paying in 90 days, all indications are that they're not going to go back to how things were before and that the new normal is going to involve a lot more use of credit, which if that demand can be risen to by suppliers and by suppliers lenders may not be a bad thing. It may actually be a good thing for the economy. And the challenges you just laid out give me two different directions I'd like to go into for, for the next part of this conversation. And I want to start with the idea of the non-payment risks, because that's obviously something that no one really wants to deal with, but it's something that has to be dealt with here. But you mentioned that some of them are arising because of uh, the effects of COVID-19, uh, the pandemic, and then others are, are non-payment risks that would have been there already that are being hit, that are being pushed behind those uh, COVID-19 issues. How can suppliers and lenders spot the difference between those two? Well, an, an important thing to do, which is not, I'm not going to pretend this is easy to do, is to reevaluate the creditworthiness of your customers. Um, I get it that if you have a customer who you've been selling to for five years and the relationship's been good, in normal times to go back to them and ask them for financial statements if that isn't something that you've asked for over time or for other credit information can really compromise the integrity of the relationship and that's even a much bigger issue if you're dealing with customers overseas like in latin america where you know business is so relationship driven or in asia where going and asking for that kind of information from an existing relationship customer could you know really involve a loss of face that could compromise the integrity of the of the business relationship but to the extent you can, you want to get back to the fundamentals in terms of evaluating your customer's credit worthiness. You know, um, uh, if the last financial statements you got from them were 31 December 2019, that doesn't tell you anything about their financial condition now. As soon as you can get their uh, uh, December 31, 2020 annual results, even if those are draft results, you want to get them and see how the company's doing. You want to keep pulling credit reports. You want to, to the extent you can, without it bugging your customer relationship, talk with other suppliers who sell to the same customer and see how they're doing and juxtapose that with how you're getting paid and so on. So the more you understand about what's really happening at your customer, and another thing of course is, is using the technology we're all using more now and, and um, having video conversations with your customers, getting virtual plant tours, you know, having them walk around with a camera or a phone or a laptop and so you can see how much activity is happening in their facility, how much inventory they've got on their shelves, how many trucks are at their loading docks. The more information you can get about the underlying business, the more you're gonna be able to 
make determinations about how to what extent the risks you're facing or the circumstances of say slow payments that you're dealing with are arising from COVID risks or from underlying um, insufficiencies. The one thing that we really caution our clients uh, about is not entering into every situation assuming that COVID is the cause, because I think that's half the battle is, is, is having the supplier, the creditor, uh, um, going into a situation in the first place, um, uh, being prepared to look for what the real answers are and not just assuming they're COVID related. And you also mentioned uh, the idea with longer payment terms, it creates this gap in working capital for, for suppliers. Um, how, can, how can they work um, to overcome these, the potential insufficiencies that can come up with that if it's, you're used to being paid over 30 days and now you're waiting 120 days? Um, and you're, well, you're the, now... key, the key is, the key is if, if you as a company who's extending more credit to your customers, if you're going, if you're running into challenges with your lenders, whether that's a bank or an asset-based lender or a factoring company or wherever you borrow against your assets, including receivables, then one of the ways that you can improve upon your ability to monetize those accounts receivable and get cash for them, you know, essentially as soon as you have an invoice is by using trade credit insurance. Uh, credit insurance on its face is an insurance policy that protects suppliers not getting paid by customers to whom they give open account payment terms. So it's a, it's a risk management tool that um, you know, helps, helps uh, suppliers sleep at night when they're giving open account payment terms to customers, even during COVID time. And it helps them extend the kinds of competitive credit terms we talked about earlier with confidence, even during the economic circumstances in which we find ourselves. Because with the insurance, one way or another, the supplier knows they're gonna get paid. But beyond credit insurance's um, um, risk mitigation, risk management, benefit. It's also a sales tool and a financing tool. It's a sales tool because, for example, like we talked about earlier, opening up more payment terms can get your distributors to stock more inventory, which makes those sales more profitable, stages your products closer to where your end users are, and so on. So if you are more able to extend those longer payment terms and bigger amounts of credit, because you have the insurance, now the insurance is serving as a sales tool to increase your revenues, but it's also a financing tool. Um, the challenges we talked about earlier that banks and other lenders have in terms of dealing with receivables that have characteristics that, you know, up until not long ago, they didn't have, you know, 60, 90 day payment terms, more concentration on fewer numbers of, 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 of customers and so on. When the receivables are insured and the bank or other lender is named as the policies, the insurance credit insurance policies assignee or lost payee, then banks and other asset-based lenders are much more in a position to uh, finance those receivables. 
And you, you brought up uh, credit insurance, which is kind of where we were going to be going with uh, the latter part of this conversation. And I'm curious if you could give me, a, for those who don't know exactly how that works, how that process works, uh, the credit insurance. I think it's kind of a bit self-explanatory, but if you could give it in your own words, that'd be great. Yeah, no, quick. Uh, with, if you have a credit insurance policy and a customer of yours is covered as part of that policy, then if you extend open account payment terms to that customer, say you give the customer 60 days open account payment terms on your invoices to, to pay you when you sell them stuff. If that 60 days comes and goes and it's day 61 and you didn't get paid, that's a loss. And if following that loss, you're not able to collect, then you can file a claim and get indemnified um, you know, by the insurance policy. Credit insurance has been around for decades. It's not as well known in the US as in other countries. In Western Europe, for example, England, France, uh, uh, Germany, um, uh, there's much greater utilization of credit insurance. Many times the utilization there is here in the US and there's all kinds of historic and cultural reasons why uh, it's been used more in some other countries than here, but it's really increasing here. I would say the first big bump here came after the last downturn, you know, 08, 09, 2010. And then now in COVID times, there's been a real upsurge in demand for the coverage uh, in the US. Policies can be put together to cover all of a company's insurable receivables, you know, from all its customers, um, uh, just a company's biggest customers that worry them the most, you know, the biggest 10 exposures they have, for example or other kinds of spreads of risk. Is it possible to buy coverage on just one customer you're concerned about? Sometimes, but it needs to be a really strong company, that customer, you know, financially, because, because um, underwriters can be much more flexible when there's a spread of risk than when there's just one. The premium rates for credit insurance are low. It's uh, you know, typically a fraction of a percent on invoices. So pennies, some amount of pennies per $100 invoiced or shipped you know, to cover the invoice against non-payment. Um, claims, I'm just giving a high level overview here. Claims, um, if the reason a customer didn't pay is because they went bankrupt or went out of business or otherwise became insolvent, Claims should be filed as soon as possible. Uh, there's, there's not really a reason to wait. But if the reason the customer didn't pay is um, you know, a cash flow difficulty or some other uh, 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 challenge that they're having, but they're still in business, they're not insolvent, a policy will allow a period of months, a long period of time for you to try and work things out with the customer and collect if you want to. You don't have to wait that full duration, but a policy will allow a long window of time for you to try and work things out with your relationship customer if you don't want to bring the hammer down right away. You mentioned that credit insurance has become more popular uh, recently, um, but has that made it more difficult to obtain, especially in the last 12 months? Oh, yeah. Um, well, the, the, the increase in demand for credit insurance hasn't made credit insurance more difficult to obtain. The, 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 the credit issues and the, you know, the, what's going on in the economy has made credit insurance more challenging to obtain. Um, just a little bit of history. 
Um, when we and our company first started brokering credit insurance in the early 1990s, there were maybe four or five insurance companies out there. And then, of course, the U.S. government agency, Exim Bank, which also um, writes credit insurance policies. Um, today, there's close to 30 insurance companies in the U.S. that um, write credit insurance policies. Plus, you've got more and more of the you know, Lloyds of London insurers who are... Um, Whose, whose policies are available in the U.S., et cetera. So there's a, the, the supply, the capacity of credit insurance has grown tremendously. And what that meant um, uh, over the past several years, as more and more insurance companies have gotten into the game of um, writing credit insurance policies, is that it, it really became a buyer's market um, when you had a number of different insurance companies competing for each opportunity um, uh, it, you know, it, it made it relatively easy to get a policy and to, to you know, have competition amongst different insurers. Um, fairly quickly after the onset of the pandemic, you know, I would say during the second course of the second quarter last year, um, that was turned on its head. And ever since then, credit insurance has really been a seller's market. Insurance companies are still writing policies. They are still, you know, helping to support the economy by doing so. They recognize their role. They want to keep writing business, but it is much more challenging for them to do so. So there are definitely some best practices which companies who want to apply for credit insurance can adopt uh, to maximize the likelihood that they'll get quotes from credit insurers and to have the terms and conditions of the policies that they get to be as attractive as possible. And then what are some of the best practices uh, that uh, companies should be using to obtain a credit insurance policy today? First of all, when a company applies for credit insurance today, the best thing they can do is to apply for a broad coverage of a broad spread of risk. Insurance companies are not nuts about cherry picking at this point, what's technically known in insurance speak as adverse selection. You know, to just come in and say, look, I have 20 customers, but I'm only really worried about these two. So these are the only two I want to insure. That's, that's not received as well by insurance companies. And you may have a harder time getting those, you know, the, the coverage on those two approved. Whereas if you came in with a broader spread of risk, you might have a much better chance with the insurer. Um, and considering how the insurance is being priced these days, you also may not end up paying more because the more you try and restrict what you're covering, the prices become much higher. Um, other things uh, include providing a write-up. It doesn't need to be a book. I mean, I'm talking just an executive summary of maybe a few paragraphs, but talking about your industry, your company, your relationships with your customers, um, how your industry is impacted by COVID, you know, to the extent you're able to look ahead and how you think things are gonna go in 2021. The insurers really wanna make smart decisions. Credit, you know, a, a relationship between a credit insurer and an insured is a partnership. And because every day the insured party is making decisions that they're going to do this, you know, make this shipment or that shipment on credit to various customers. And the insurance company's not there looking over their shoulder every day at what they're doing. So insurance companies who issue these policies want to be confident that who they're dealing with are doing business. I mean, ideally, They'd like to see companies doing business with as much diligence and as much care as if they didn't have an insurance policy. And so, so you know, they're looking for companies who, who do business, you know, in a way that they can understand. 
and, and particularly in, in COVID times. So, so providing some backgrounds, a cover memo, you know, explaining what's going on uh, in your business, explaining, you know, to the extent that you have any past due receivables in your, in your portfolio, explaining what the story is with those. Again, so the insurance companies can understand what you're coming in with. Great. Well, Gary, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with uh, us today. I really appreciate it. Uh, pleasure's mine. Thanks again to Gary for joining this week. Before we go, I wanted to let you know that we'll be announcing our first live stream program for 2021 very soon. The focus for the event will be retail finance, so make sure to stay tuned for more info in the next week. Thanks for listening to the ABF Journal podcast. We'll talk again soon.